Well, saints, if you would, open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll get one to you. If you don't own a Bible, simply keep it as our gift to you and that you can continue to read and just draw closer to God. But here we are in John, chapter 12, and I want to focus on verse 26 this morning for our text. So we covered a good chunk of that last Wednesday but I really has been put upon my heart really to expound on this one area for us this morning. And John 12, 26 simply declares this, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Let me read that again. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. It's a beautiful thing that when we see this term, there's two things that are side by side. And understand that the Holy Spirit through John doesn't simply say, serve me. We're not robots. We aren't those ants that we, you know, we read about there in Proverbs. We aren't busily doing things. But he says this, he says simply, as he makes his declaration, if anyone serves me, if you're going to serve, if you're going to, you know, do what God has called you to do, you do it what? Close to him. You do it following him. And so I, I love the heart that these two things are side by side. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. In other words, can you truly serve the Lord if you're not close? Can you truly serve the Lord if you're not really in intimacy? And so I think when we look at those ants, as we did in Proverbs, those that are busily working, busily doing, I, I think it's a good question for us to ask, to what degree do we seek after God? To how much time and energy do you put into seeking after God? We know that the lazy man, if he does nothing to prepare, eventually what? He dies. And I think the same thing with, with, with what we experience as Christians. If we're not pursuing God, what happens? We dry up. We dry up all the, the resources that we had. Everything begins to wane. And, and I think that when we're looking at these things, it's a, it's a good question to ask ourselves is to what degree do we seek after God? As we come again into this area, looking at the Christmas season, I know it's not biblical in a sense, but how often do we sing about the three wise men coming to see Jesus Christ? Now, we've talked about it before, that the actual Christmas story, the actual event of Christmas, is found there in Luke chapter 2. But in how many mangers do you see that there in the manger is what? Well, you see Joseph and Mary, you see the baby Jesus, you see the shepherd, you see the little angel on top singing, and then you see what? You see the three wise men, and they're there. And yet the reality is, is those wise men, and I want you to understand how diligently they sought after Jesus. 
If you're going to do your manger scene correctly, what happens is you put the manger scene there underneath your tree. You have Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the shepherd. And then you have to put the wise men off into another room somewhere because they're not there at the manger. They're, they're traveling. They're moving already. But I want you to understand how diligently those wise men sought the Lord. In Matthew chapter 2 is that passage in where the, the wise men come. And so we, we, we recognize it in Matthew 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So Jesus was born there in Bethlehem. The wise men now come to Jerusalem And I want you to understand before I read anything else, something that you should be aware of, that it says in verse 11 of Matthew 2, and when they had come into the house. You understand they're not in the manger anymore. They've been there long enough where now they're in the house. They're not in the manger. They haven't camped out in the manger. The birth was in the manger. Eventually, they moved out of the manger, got a home. This is where the wise men come. But I want you to see in verse 2 how they pursued this king. They say in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Understand that they saw the star of his birth there in the east. And then they began to pursue him. Day after day. Moment after moment, they are pursuing the star that is going to lead them to Jesus Christ, the king. They are pursuing the light. And they're actively pursuing the light. And understand they are relentless in pursuing this light. There are some commentators that actually make this statement where in verse 11 says, when they'd come to the house, they saw the young child. Understand they didn't see the infant. They saw a young child. So in that instance, there are some commentators who literally believe that this was About a year and a half, two years, up to two years later, that here they see this young child. Do you understand the diligence in what they're doing? They are constantly moving and moving and working and expending energy for one purpose, to draw closer to this one who was born king of the Jews. And eventually they come into Jerusalem and they ask that question in Matthew 2, 2, where is he who's been born the king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship. You understand in their heart, there's one desire, I want to come close and worship. I want to get close and worship. This is their heart. And keep in mind that they come into the nation of Israel. The nation that shares the DNA of our Messiah. Do you understand? This is of of Israel. This is Jacob who became Israel. Jesus shares their DNA. He comes to his own. And who are the ones that are pursuing him? Gentiles. Gentiles are pursuing him. 
Absolutely amazing to see that as they now come, they said, we have come to worship him. And as we look down at verse 9 of Matthew 2, and when they heard the king, they departed. As they said, well, he's there in Bethlehem. That's what the scrolls say. And it says this, and they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. They have been pursuing this light for a long time. From the time that the infant becomes a child. And from the time that they move out of the manger and into a home. And so here they finally come to that place where the young child was. And understand, it's not an infant now, it's a young child. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding joy. It's absolutely amazing the rewards of seeking is what? Finding. Oh, seek me, he says, and you will find me. And here they're, they're seeking, they're following this light. And when, verse 10, they had saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they'd come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they'd opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, frank gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Absolutely amazing that here, what they do, in a sense, is what? They are expending a lot of energy. They're not like the ant. They're not like the sluggard. But understand what their energies are spent in. They're spent in pursuing the light. They're spent in trying to draw close to Jesus Christ. And so often what happens is we as as, as Christians... I think what we do want to do, what we want to serve the Lord. We want to serve him. We want to do good works for him. We want to honor God. But understand what he makes a statement in John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And then he says, where I am, there my servant will be. You understand that if you're serving over here and Jesus is here, are you really serving Jesus Christ? You're not doing the service the way that he's asking us to serve. He's not wanting robots. We look to say, well, I'm doing my calling. I'm doing what God created me to do. I'm I'm pursuing this goal. I'm pursuing these things. Well, understand, when we're looking to that calling, the vocation, the actions that Jesus calls us to do, there's this dual layer of the calling. I want to share with you one verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. I want to read it to you, but, but listen here to what the Holy Spirit says through Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.9. He said, God is faithful by whom you were called. This is a calling. This is the first calling. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You understand the first calling? The first calling that we're called to is what? To come into fellowship and to remain in that fellowship. It's an amazing thing that when we look at all the things that God has called us to, 
I want to just take you into a little journey in the Old Testament because there in the book of Hosea, don't turn there, but in Hosea 11 verse 1, it, it simply makes a statement, out of Egypt I have called my son. God has called Israel out of Egypt. And keep in mind that he calls all of us, what, out of the world. Egypt is a type of the world. Out of, out of the world, I've called my sons, I've called my daughters, I've called my children. God has called us out of the world. Now, when Moses would go to Pharaoh, over and over, he would say what? Let my people go that they may do what? That they may serve me. Do their calling. To do what they were called to do. And something unique happened as the children of Israel were there before the Lord in the book of Exodus. I want to read to you just one portion of scripture found in Exodus chapter 33. Now, in Exodus 33, this is directly after an event that took place in Exodus 32, which is the sin of Israel. Moses delays coming down from the mountain. The children make the golden calf. They dance around it. They say, this is your God, O Israel, who led you out of Egypt. Let's worship him. And so they just give themselves over to abandon. And at that point, this is where Moses comes down, breaks the tablets at the foot of the mountain, and then through that calls anyone who's on my side, come to me, let's deal with them. The children of Levi came to Moses, and then through that, at the day the law was given, 3,000 men of Israel died. Incredible. And so as they put on the sword and they brought this, this, this judgment upon the people, in Exodus 32, verse 28, they said about 3,000 of the men of the people fell that day. When the law was given, 3,000 people died. The beautiful thing is that in the book of Acts, when the Spirit comes, what? 3,000 people were added to the church. Now, as we look to this, in Exodus 33, God says something amazing. In the first verse, and the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from there, you and the people whom you brought out of the land, to Egypt, to a land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it, and I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, For I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you along the way. God talks to the nation of Israel. He says, listen, you're still, even though you've sinned, I'm going to give you my promises. I'm going to give you my promises. He says very simply in verse 1 of Exodus 33, Depart and go up from there, you and the people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore. To Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, you will still have my promises. Amazing. Everything that God promised, I can have. And then he says, not only will you have the promises, but you're going to have my protection in verse 2. I will send my angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites. I will drive out those of the nation. I'm going to give you protection and power. 
And he says, you can have the promises, you can have the protection, you can have my power. But he says there in verse 3, go up to this land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst. You won't have my presence. You won't have me. And how many times does the church want the promises of God? Oh, do this in my life, do that in my life. I want the stuff. And I want to experience your power. I want to have the gifts. I want to have those things. But God isn't with that. And amazingly, here's a, an incredible thing. Because what, what, he, what, what God says is this. When Moses is talking to the Lord, and he says very carefully... Moses, in verse 15 of Exodus 33, says to the Lord, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. I don't care about the promises. I don't care about the power. I don't care about all that. I want you. So all of a sudden, it's what? Well, you can serve the Lord. You can serve the Lord. But if you're truly going to serve the Lord, you do it what? Following him. He says, for for where I am so amazingly, there is my servant. And so as we look to this, where I am, there my servant will be. If God is here, where are we? We're here serving him, not over here. We listen to his voice. We're pursuing his heart. And everything is, I want to be close to you. I don't want to just simply do things. I don't want to be the ant in preparation of all these things. I want to do what? I want to be like the magi. I want my life in pursuit of you, in pursuit of the light, in pursuit of worship. This is where the true heart is. This is where the servant is. It's amazing that when we look to that passage, and of course you guys know this is kind of like my life's first, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's him in me. This is what I want. Out of all the things that I can do, when I do things like Colossians 3 says, I want to do it unto his name. I want to do it heartily as unto the Lord. And I think it's important. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Just let me read it to you. But it says this. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do. You understand? Whatever celebration you have, whatever thing that you partake of, if you're eating, if you're drinking, whatever you do, he says this, do all to the glory of God. It's about that. It's about, I want to do this in a way that brings you glory. I want to do this in a way that draws me to you. And I think it's so important that you can do things and do things and do things But if it's not to draw near to God, then how does that benefit your relationship with God? Do you understand that one thing that we pursue as as Christians, the one thing that we know is the greatest thing that happens is what? When we're closer to God. When we experience Him in intimacy, in awe, in wonder. And so we look to this, and I think it's so important. He just makes that statement. If you serve me... 
so amazing. I think if anyone serves me, let him follow me. For where I am, there my servant will be. As we look to this, there are just so many times that, that people, they, they want to serve God. But what do they do? I have real no connection with God. Understand, God just doesn't want to hire people out. And, and, and that's what we think. We think that this is what's happening. We think that I just need to, God has saved me so I could be a workforce. That's not what he wants. He wants a child. And you understand that when you have children, if you have children to be laborers, you've done it wrong. You have children, you build up a relationship with them. You build intimacy with them. There's a passage I want to share it with you, found in 2 Chronicles 25. In 2 Chronicles 25, it shows the duality of this situation. There is a king by the name of Amaziah. And Amaziah, he's the 11th king of Judah. And what happens is this. In verse 1 and verse 2, it says, Amaziah was 25 years old when he became the king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiadan of Jerusalem. And verse 2, it says this, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Now stop there. Don't read anymore. Just stop right there. If you already read ahead, you just blew it. You've already just, just read the end of the, the, the verse. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And you think, hallelujah. This is an amazing king. He did the right things. But that's not what the Holy Spirit says. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But, oh, that little hinge on which great doors swing. That three-letter word, but. How many times have you heard this great news where someone would say when they're first dating, I love you, but, uh-oh, what does that mean? Bad news. It's all good. I, I love you. Yes, that's amazing. But, oh, man, here it comes. But I love you like a friend. I love you like a brother. That kind of a thing. You, you get this great start, and then it just dissipates. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. He didn't do it to glorify God. He didn't do it to exalt God. And so eventually what happens is that there is going to be some skirmishes there in Jerusalem. There's going to be a point where he needs to bring about and there has to be this army that, that comes. Well, in verse 6 of 2 Chronicles 25, it says this, He also hired one 100,000 mighty sons of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. Man, I am going to accomplish this deed for God. I'm going to be bringing in people and I'm paying them. In other words, what? Paid workers. That's all they are. 
Now, when you had these paid workers, notice what happens, verse 7. But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone, be strong in battle, even so God will shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and to overthrow. Then Amaziah said to the man of God, verse 7, But what shall I do about the 100 talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. So Amaziah discharged the troops that had gone, that had come to him from Ephraim to go back home. Therefore, their anger was greatly aroused against Judah, and they returned home in anger. Then Amaziah strengthened himself. You understand that he's pursuing, I want, I want laborers, I want workers, I want an army of mighty men. I want the best that money can buy. And guess what? God said, I don't want them. I don't want them. I want those that have a heart, those that are mine, those that I've called. It isn't about just getting things done. And Amaziah had to learn that the hard way. God says, you can do that, you can hire them, but I'm not going to be there. And I said, what do I do with everything that I've already, the energy I expelled? He said, let it go. Let it go. Just let it go. Start afresh. Start new. And if you've been that kind of Christian that constantly wants to do something for the Lord, but you're not really doing it to draw near to the Lord, understand Jesus himself in writing to the churches there in the book of Revelation. He makes a statement, and he writes to the church of Ephesus. It's the first church that is there in Revelation chapter 2. And so he asks, he makes this statement about the church. And again, it starts off in verse 2, I know your works. Oh, this is good stuff. I know your works. I've seen what you've done. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those that are evil and have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Understand, they did this for the Lord. But here he goes on and says this, Nevertheless... It's a larger hinge. You could say, but. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. You're doing all the right things, but you're not doing it in the right way. You're doing the works. And understand, they had works. They had labor. They had patience. They, they couldn't bear those were evil. They tested the apostles. They persevered. They labored and labored and labored, but but they left their first love. And then he says this, verse 5, Remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Come back to this intimacy. Come back to the fellowship. You and me, do it with me. Not for me, with me. And I think it's so important that there's a lot of people within the church that are doing the things for the Lord. Understand, you want to find true joy in your service? Do it with the Lord. 
Because he says simply, my burdens are light. They're easy. They're not here to weigh you down. Why is that? Because what happens in the works that he's created from the foundation of the world, that we should walk in them with him, he says simply, just hold my hand and let's go through this together. And it's not going to be your energy that you're expelling. Yeah, there's going to be work, but to understand, the main thing is this. You're going to be spending time with me. You're going to get to know me. You're going to have more and more illumination of who I am. And, and, and you're going to see your heart. You're going to see the, the world's heart. You're going to see my heart. And then you're going to make this comparison to which direction am I going to go? Am I going to go the direction of the world? I'm going to go the direction of you. But as always, I want to pursue you. I want to be like those wise men, those magi who say, I want to come to the light. I want to pursue the light. It's all about you. I want to serve you, but more importantly, what? I want to serve you by following you. If you're not following him, if you're not with him, you're really not serving him. Your works... You're doing a lot of things for the Lord, but you were created, you were called into fellowship, intimacy with Jesus Christ. There is a point of wanting to come to this place of really saying, God, it's in you that I'm going to have an understanding. There's a passage, let me simply read it to you in in Psalm 16, verse 11. It's, It's one of those miktams of David But he says this, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. So you're going to show me the path. You're going to give me the direction that I'm going to go. What is that path? Follow him. Simply that, follow him. He said, what? Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Don't get before me, follow me. And I love the fact is you're going to show me the path of life. You're going to show me the direction that true life is. And what's that direction? It's a star. It's a light that says, come to this light because where that light is, is the Messiah, is the one who was born king of Israel, is the one who was born king of kings. Yes, yes, absolutely, a child is born, but a son is given. God comes to earth. God says, here I am, and he's going to show me the path of life. But he declares that in your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are the pleasures forevermore. It's you is where life is. In you is where my life is hidden. My life is hidden with Christ and God. This is where it's all at. And I think it's so important that when we're seeing this context, it's one of those things. And, and I know the Holy Spirit says in our text, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. In, in my mind, I, I would reverse that. It says, if you're really going to serve me, you must follow me. Follow me and serve me. Be close to me and serve me. Don't just serve me. And here's the problem that so many people look at this passage and and all they look at is if anyone serves me and then they see this at the end of verse 26, if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. 
I'm going to just simply work for God and he's going to honor me. No, that's not what it says. You understand that when you're close to God, when you're close to Jesus Christ, you're having intimacy with him. When God pours out the honor upon Jesus Christ, you're a participant in it. This is where the honor comes from. The honor comes from being close to Jesus Christ, not just simply doing things for God. And I think what's important is this, is that that we sometimes, as Christians, we're diligent to work for God. The challenge I think the Holy Spirit has for us as a church is are you diligent to draw near to God? Is that the greatest thing? No, I just want to do things for the Lord. Whatever I do, I want to do it. He says, well, you can do all the things for me, And you can do a lot of things, great and mighty things, but the importance is what? Do the things that I've called you to do. Do the things that I am doing. Participate with me. There's a passage. I looked at it on um, Wednesday. I want to focus on it a little bit here this morning. And, and so what happens is this. There's a passage in 2 Kings. In 2 Kings chapter 5, uh, um, I want to make sure it's where I'm thinking it is. 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 10. There is a man in 2 Kings 5. His name is Naaman. He's the commander of the army of the king of Syria. He's a great man, an honorable man, a mighty man of valor. He was a leper. And eventually his servant girl, who was a a servant of of his that came from Israel, says, hey, there is this, this prophet. There's a prophet there in Israel, and he can heal you of the leprosy. And so he goes to the king. The king sends a letter, and he says, listen. He sends his letter to Jehoram. He says, hey, here's my servant, Naaman. Heal him of his leprosy. And the king's like, oh, my God, what is he doing? He wants to pick a fight with me. There's no way to do this. But Elisha said, hey, just send him to me. And so in verse 10 of 2 Kings 5, and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you shall be clean. So he comes to Elisha's house. He comes to where Elisha is staying. All of a sudden, Elisha doesn't come out to him. He sends out a servant. He simply sends out a messenger, says, go dunk yourself in the Jordan seven times and you will be made clean. You will be healed of this leprosy. You'll be healed of the disease. Now, leprosy had what? There was no way to be healed of leprosy. We still don't know how to do that. It's still uncurable. And, and, but what we see is this, is he tells him, just go dunk in the Jordan. Now, at this point, Naaman becomes furious, went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. He had this vision already in his mind of what the prophet would do. The prophet himself would come out because Naaman was worth having the prophet himself, not just some lousy servant. He's going to come out, he's going to wave his hand everywhere, and he's going to heal me of the leprosy. I'm going to see this mighty work of God. 
And he simply sends out a servant and says, go wash in the Jordan. Go dunk seven times. And he's mad. He's angry. And so we see there in verse 12, are not the Arbana and the far part, the rivers of Damascus, far better than all the water of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He didn't like God's plan. Humble yourself. Do it is what God called you to do. I can do other things. There's another way other than how God said it. He said, go in this dirty Jordan. I got better rivers. There's a better way to do what I need God to do. And, and he's, he's looking to say, God's way is wrong. There's another way besides what God says. And then verse 13, a servant came near and he spoke to him saying, my father, the prophet had told you something great. Would you not have done it? How much more than when he says, wash and be clean. If you can do something great for God, I want to do it. But what God says is this, not get this done, build this temple, build this tabernacle, not just the doing. He says what? Intimacy. Keep in mind, the tabernacle was not just a building to be made. It was a place that what? They could experience and and have intimacy with God. To come into a right and better relationship every time they entered it. That's what the temple was too. Not, Not just a building to be made, but a place to experience God. And I love the heart because here he wants to do, the prophet, the, the servant said, if you told you something great, what have you done? it? Yeah, I could have earned my way, earned this relationship. And what God says is this, just come on and enter into the relationship. You can't earn it. I've done the work for you. I went to the cross. I came to earth. I did it. But what I want you to do is enter into this fellowship that I provided, come into this relationship. And we begin to see here that it's so much understanding. It's God drawing near to God. Job says this in Job 23, 11, my foot has held fast to his steps and I've kept his way and not turned aside. It's so important that it's what he leads me, where he guides me. That's what I'm doing. And in Job 23, 11, my foot has held fast to his steps. In other words, I'm following him, not doing my own thing. I'm not doing what the world thinks I should do. I'm following him. I'm trusting him. And I'm I'm, I'm believing what he says. That the greatest work that I can do is simply just believe in him and draw near to him and experience him. But so often it comes to where we recognize where I am, there my servant will be. You've got to look to say, Jesus, where are you at? I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to come to the light. And wherever you're at, that's where I'm going to be. And that's what he says. Wherever I am, there is my servant also. The true servant of God is there by his side, serving him walking with him, believing him. And I think what happens is this, is that we can simply do the things that everybody else says without really drawing near. I don't know if you're familiar, but there's a passage in Matthew chapter 15. Let me just read a couple of verses to you. I want to share verse 3, and then I want to jump over to verse 7 and 8. Because in Matthew 15, verse 3, Jesus makes this statement 
to these religious leaders. And he answers, says, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? You do what you want to do, not what God has called you to do. God has called you to do one thing and you twist it and you manipulate it and you do what you want to do anyways. You're not following his heart. You may be doing something for the Lord, but you're not doing it white. I'm in love with you and I'm close to you. It's one of those things when we recognize this is where the heart is. And so he says, why do you transgress the commandment? And then he says this in verse 7 and 8. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. They're, they're doing all these things, they're saying the right things, but he's saying this, in vain they're worshiping. Their worship is empty, their relationship is empty. And he calls them hypocrites. All these people think, oh wow, look at what you're doing, you've got to be close to God. And Jesus says, all these things that you're doing, you're not even close. You are so far away. You're not even in You're not on the same page as God. You're not even in the same book as God. In fact, you're not even in the same library as God. You're that far separate. We look to this and we begin to see this. And I think it's so amazing when we recognize where I am, there my servant will be. And you do it in a way that I'm close to you. I'm experiencing you. And then what? What I begin to do is a response, not a requirement. I'm overwhelmed in awe of who he is and what he's done. He saved me. He's redeemed me. He's called me to his side. He's called me a child. He's going to give me an inheritance in heaven. All these things are mine, not because of what I've done, only because of what he's done. And I'm close to him. And in that awe and reverence and the overflowing of joys, what can I do? He says, well, this is what I'm doing. You want to join me? Yes, I want to join you. I don't want to take on my own project. I want to join you. What is your project? I love it when he taught the disciples to pray. So amazingly, when is, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So amazing, but he says this, your will be done. Your will be done. Yet as Christians, what do we pray? My will be done. Get this done, Lord. Do this, do that. Fix this. No, it's what is your will? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We say, I want my will to be done in heaven as I'm thinking on earth. It's about me and me and me and what I want. And he says, no, it's about your will being done. Whatever you desire in heaven, I want to become a vessel, an instrument for your glory. That whatever you want to do, I want to do that. We look to this heart and I think it's so important that... Service requires following. That wherever he is, there the servant is. And then when we're at that point and we're following and we're doing it out of love. Not just doing it. The church in Ephesus did it. He said, I'm going to depart from you. It isn't about doing it. It's about what? Coming back to the first work of loving God. Fellowship with him. That's the first thing we do. We're lost and then we're found. We're dead, and then we're alive in Christ. And that's the first thing that we do. We come to Jesus Christ. That's the work. 
He says, do this first work. Come to me. Come to me. Don't, don't, don't just come to me. Now I've come. Now go do your thing. That's not it. If God's presence isn't in your work, to be honest, like Israel, you don't want to be there. If his presence is there, then whatever he wants is what I want. And I think it's so important that when you do understand his will, you trust it. You trust it. Not like Naaman, where he says, oh, you know, I don't want to just dunk in this river. I think there's a better way to do it. How often is there always a better way to do it? When we look to where the enemy had come to Jesus Christ... And there in Matthew chapter 4, I want to share with you just one passage. It begins in verse 8, and it goes down to verse 11 of Matthew 4. We know it as the temptation. But we see this in Matthew 8. Again, the devil took him, Jesus, up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. You can have everything that you created. Why is he saying that to Jesus? Well, because Adam signed over the title deed to the earth and everything in it. When he listened to Satan, he ate of the fruit. He gave everything to Satan. He signed over the deed. This is why in heaven there was weeping when God held the scroll. And the weeping was, who's worthy to open the scroll? Well, God is powerful, but he could not open the scroll. Why? It wasn't lawful. It was already Satan's. But Satan goes to Jesus and where Jesus purchased it through his blood. That he purchased the world back. He purchased you and me back to him. And Satan would say, listen, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to go to this place where where your soul is going to be troubled. And you're going to sweat as it were great drops of blood. Saying, oh, my soul is exceedingly troubled. Father, can you... Do I really have to go through? Is this the cup that I must drink? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. But Satan had took him up on this exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. You can have it. There's a shortcut. There's a better way. God wants you to die. God wants you to suffer. God is a mean, mean God. I'll just give it to you. Look at how nice I am. Look at how kind I am. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. All you have to do is what? Forsake God. No longer be what he wants you to be. No longer do what he's calling you to be. You fall down and worship me. And what does Jesus do? He says, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him. Behold, angels came and ministered to him. Satan always says what? There's a shortcut. There's a shortcut to glory. You don't have to go through suffering. You don't have to go through trials. You don't have to go through that. There's another way to experience God than the way that God is showing you. No, you need to follow him regardless of what the path is. To realize it's not my will. Your will be done. This is my heart. I'm going to trust in you. Even though the road may seem a little difficult... Even though in my mind I can't see how it's going to be, I do know by faith that what you have declared you will do. And this is the heart. There's a passage, I just want to share it with you. If you want, you can turn there because we're going to camp there for a little bit. Found in the book of Numbers. In the the book of Numbers, I want to read to you a couple of verses from 
um, chapter 13, then we want to jump over to chapter 14. But within this passage of Numbers 13 and 14, keep in mind that this is where the children of Israel send 10, well, they send 12 spies, one of, of every tribe into the nation that they will go to possess. And what happens is this. In verse 30 of, of Numbers chapter 13. Let me back to the verse 25 first. It said, and they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. So, these 12 spies come back. Verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are able to overcome it. Caleb says, God said it's ours. It's going to happen, people. God said it's ours. Let's go take it on. But verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. We can't do it. There's no way to accomplish this work. And eventually they have that debate God sends them on their way, but in Numbers 14, beginning in verse 22, it says this. Let me back to verse 21. But truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. God said, I will be glorified. Verse 22, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt in the wilderness and have put me to test now these ten times, and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. You understand? God said one thing. Caleb followed me. He believed me. He trusted me. He followed me. He said, I, I know what God's will is. Let's go in and take the land. Caleb followed me. He trusted me. But yet the people did what? They didn't listen to Caleb. They didn't listen to Joshua. They listened to the majority the majority said, we can't take them on. I'll be honest with you. They were right. But God says what? Without me, you can do nothing. But with me, all things are possible. You can't take them on. You can't win. These are things that you can't do. But with God, all things are possible. When you're near to God, he does it. You're simply holding his hands. And I think it's so important that, that we look to these things and, and understand, we can do a lot. You can do mighty works. Naaman could do all kinds of mighty works, but it wouldn't do what? It wouldn't give him that intimacy with God. It wouldn't give him the recognition of how God works. God says, don't do it the way you think. Do it the way I've called you to do it. Dunk in the Jordan seven times. He dunked in the Jordan seven times. He was made as clean. His, his flesh was no longer the flesh of leprosy, but now his flesh was like that of a baby. So amazing that we recognize that this is the heart of God. So as we look in our text in John 
12.26, he says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. If you're really serving God, you're following his light. You're following his steps. You're following his path. And where he is, there the servant will be also. It's so important that if you're really saying, I'm a servant of God, that what? God is there with you while you're doing the work. God is there empowering you and showing you and blessing you. And you're experiencing God through this work. Because we've been called what? Into fellowship. And you know as well as I do that you can do things and not experience God and not experience intimacy. The church did in Ephesus. They had all these things, but they left the love. They didn't have this experience with God. They did the work. But what God wants is this, and I think it's so important as we come into this Christmas season, there's going to be all kinds of things to do. All of us will find ourselves busy with many things, sort of like Martha. Martha, Martha, you are busy and busy and busy. Mary chose sitting. And the good thing that Mary chose wouldn't be taken away from her. Now keep in mind that that Martha can do it. Eventually Martha learned what I can serve the Lord, but my focus is right. And she comes back to that place of really gravitating to, I know what I need to do. I need to be with him while I serve. I need to be focused on him while I serve. I need to have my heart right while I serve. And as we come to this area, I think it's so important to to recognize that he leads us in the way that we should go. And his spirit is going to guide us and direct us and empower us. And then when we do the works that we do, we do it in what? In a way that glorifies our Father who is in heaven. That other people see his glory. They recognize this isn't me. This is the Lord. This is his heart. So when we come to this, when we follow him, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. If you're going to do any works, do it with me. Do it next to me, because where I am, there the servant will be. So understand that. If you're here and he's there, you're not his servant. You're a servant. You're a worker. But his servant, where I am, there my servant will be. When you're his servant, you're going to be near to him. When you're his servant, you're going to be right next to him. And then he says this, if anyone serves me. By being near me and with me, him my father will honor. That when I receive the honor and glory from my father, you are going to be a participant in it. It's an amazing thing that when God glorifies the son, that we who are in the son receive that glory. It's like, yes, yes, glorify the son. And and when we come to this point, I think it's a good thing for us to recognize the heart of God and what it means to be a servant and how to have this servant. That the honor comes to the followers. The honors come to those who are close. The honor goes to Jesus and those who are with him share in that honor. So here's the thing. In this Christmas season, be a wise man. Be a wise man. Pursue the light. And say, there's one thing that I desire. I want to come so close to you that I can worship you. I want to come so close to you that I can experience you. And that experience leads to worship. Keep in mind, they didn't pour out the gifts. They'd tell what? Until they were there with him. 
so often we pour out the gifts and we pour out the gifts and he's not anywhere close to that. But we understand the truest worship, the truest honoring is when he's there in the midst and then we give. Then it's, it's given to him and it's given to him. It is not simply a work that's for him. It's a work that's with him and unto him in the most intimate of ways. May we take this verse to heart. That it's not just serving God, but it's following. That we were called into the fellowship, the fellowship of God and his son, Jesus Christ. This is our greatest calling. Don't leave that calling. May that be our heart as we find ourselves busy in this Christmas season. May we only do what? Do those things that he's called us to do the things that draw us closer to him, the things that create us to come to a place of worship. May that be our heart. Amen. Amen. Father, we are so grateful for this word. We normally hear, serve God, serve God, serve God. This is the mindset of the Pharisees. Do this, do this, do this. And the Pharisees were, boy, they had serving down. They had works down. They had all the deeds down, and yet you would call them hypocrites. They weren't even close to their first love. The works were their love. The, the, the people looking to them, they, they loved the greetings in the marketplaces, having the best seats in, in where they went. They, they loved the prestige. They loved everybody pointing to them. And yet, we don't want that recognition. We want you to receive the recognition. We want to do our deeds in such a way that they glorify you. May that be our heart. May we recognize that it's not the service, but it's the following you. It's not, it's not just being, but it's being with you. Wherever you are there, your servant will be. You've made a statement that if we're with you, we're your servants. If we're not near you, then it's questionable. Help us be the servants that you call us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.